Hey folks, and welcome to this podcast. So I'm doing this one because somebody reached out to me from my past and said, Damon, you need to talk about when you worked for an MEP firm as an integrator. So, uh, and this is a little self-serving because my MEP friends want me to talk about what MEPs are. So if you don't know what an MEP is, it stands for Mechanical, Electrical, and Plumbing, and they're engineers that are normally a company and they sell their services to architects that are building, let's say, high schools or universities and such. And I was super lucky as I was able to work for an MEP firm for about a couple of years and helped with the integration, which is, you know, where you're putting the equipment into a theater design that's already basically done. So now this is my humble opinion, folks. But if you're going to design a theater from scratch, you got to have a theater consultant because they understand the programming side, uh, the uh, design development side. They understand all the ins and outs that it takes to build a theater. However, some architects would do what I called shake and bake theaters, which were six to seven hundred seat theaters. And they already knew the audience chamber side. They already knew how big the stage was going to be. They already knew the lobby size. They already basically had a theater designed and all they needed was rigging and lighting put into it. So it was my job to help integrate the rigging and lighting into their known design. So before I get too far into this, I also had this person tell me that I need to share a little bit more about my history in this industry and that I haven't really articulated that yet in any of my podcast. So as you all know, I started working in theater back in the 80s and into the 90s where I was a stagehand, a master electrician, a lighting designer, an audio engineer, a rigger. I installed a lot of rigging back in the day. So I kind of wore a lot of hats and that's before I got into sales. And as I got in more and more into sales, then I started meeting other people like architects and engineers. And that's ultimately how I met an MEP firm located in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they also had an Indianapolis office and that's the office I worked out of. And it was a bunch of really cool. Uh, I mean, the team was just really, really cool. I just ultimately got bored. And it was about the time that a manufacturer threw uh, a wheelbarrow full of money at me to come help them. Uh, basically be their translator between technical sales and the buyer or the specifiers. Uh, many times in the theater industry, a company will get started up, but they don't know how to speak the language of theater. And I have been hired three times now in my life to basically be that interpreter. So with that said, um, some of the hats I wore later on in life was, uh, you know, working, like I just said, with manufacturers and helping them launch product and get, you know, get it out into the market. So with that said, I want to explain as an MEP, uh, two sides of it. One side is where I called on them as a salesperson and the MEP, the mechanical, the E is electrical and electrical is always, as far as I've ever seen in what was called division 16, back in the 80s and 90s. Nowadays, it's called Division 26, and I have no idea why it's called that today. I don't know why they changed the number. I'm sure somebody listening to this will tell me. But the thing is, is that um, 
when you are selling into Division 26, your clients you're seeing are electrical engineers that we call EEs or double E's. You're seeing the uh, EC, uh, which is the electrical contractor. You're seeing distributors, but your specifiers, the people who are specifying the product are the MEPs, the mechanical, electrical, uh, or plumbing, or the double E, which is electrical engineer. So if you have an architectural firm that's big enough where they have their own MEP uh, within the firm, you go to see the electrical department if they're doing stuff in Division 26. Now, most of the time, if there's an architect that has that internally and they're designing a theater, they'll use a theater consultant. And at that time, the uh, equipment goes into what's called uh, Division 11, which is mechanical. Now, these divisions are the way you break up all the different uh, products and trades that go into building a building. You know, there's a division zero, one, two. I don't know how high it goes, but there's concrete, there's finishings, there's everything. But in the theater industry, we only worry most of the time, uh, but not all the time, about division 11 and division 26. So when I was a rep and I was selling dimming and lighting and controls, I had basically two clients I would see. One was the theater consultants to get my product specified into their jobs, but the other ones were the electrical engineer or the MEP firms that would be doing the shake and bake theaters and putting it through a distributor. Uh, well, let me, let me back up, folks. So when a job goes to bid, you will look in Division 11, and if you see a theater package there, I would say 95% of the time a theater consultant designed it. If you look at a job that an MEP firm designed it, a lot of times the equipment is in Division 26, which can get confusing because in Division 26, you normally don't see drapery and pipe and things like that. It's just electrical, normally just the dimming system and rigging, unless it's automated, would be most of the time uh, a mechanical thing, you know, Automated rigging many times will go into Division 26 because it's motors and switches and things, okay? <laughs> Controls and low-voltage, high-voltage wiring and all that garbage. And, and if you are totally confused now, it means you have not worked in the theater industry and selling lighting or rigging, okay? And that's fine. I mean, I started doing these podcasts for young uh, uh, high school and college uh, students that are thinking about a career in theater, and if you think you'll ever get bored in this industry, you're nuts because uh, there are, I, you know, I've met a couple of people at this trade show uh, last week called USITT that are theater consultants that actually had electrical engineering degrees. Uh, they're electrical engineers that also become theater consultants. So you, if you want a path in theater, you could get your theater degree. You could then get an enge electrical engineering degree. And you could do a pretty kick-ass job as a theater consultant, especially if you've got, um, I mean, if you're an electrical contractor with a license, I don't know if that exists in theater consulting. But the more experience you have in understanding how these systems go into the buildings, the more important it is. Now, I really want to reinforce uh, again, folks, if you're building a theater from scratch, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what the size of the stage is, the audience chamber, the wings, the scene shop, the pit size or depth, um, the lobby size. If you don't know any of that, you need a theater consultant flat out. 
If you're a architectural firm that in the past has done the shake and bake theaters, which are most of the time called auditoriums, but I'm sure somebody will call me out and say I'm wrong there. Um, they'll do it, but they'll still have an MEP firm in Division 26 do the electrical work. Um, but see, I'm, I'm also going to be confusing some people because even when a theater consultant designs a theater and they put the rigging into Division 11, the dimming many times is put into 11 now so that a single theater contractor can carry the contract for the whole job. But there are still a lot of properties that are in Division 26. So there'll be pages referring the crossover between Division 11 and 26 when you're doing uh, the full rigging package. So let me try to explain this for a minute. And look, folks, I know I can confuse people very easy. Hell, I confuse myself quite easy. Let's say you've got a theater fixed audience seating. There are going to be clouds on the ceiling. There's going to be orchestra shell on stage. There's going to be a pit filler or a pit lift. Um, and I'll tell you the differences in a minute. There's going to be a rigging system that has both manual counterweight and some motorized rigging. There's going to be, let's say a truss, a motorized truss out over the house. And then you're going to have a catwalk full of lights. So when a single theater theatrical contractor would bid that, which is a different, a little bit of a change. I mean, 30 years ago, normally two different contractors would bid that. And then you had some coordination issues. But today, most people like to see a single contractor carry that, um, a rigging contractor carry that entire contract. Because it just makes it easier for when you are uh, essentially project managing and coordinating with the GC and the EC and all the other parties. So, Imagine that you have a drawing set and there's a division 11, which will so show anything mechanical that's attached to the building. Then you have division 26, which is going to show the electrical components. So a single theater contractor could be responsible for the mechanical rigging system, the mechanical pit filler or pit lift, the uh, mechanical front of house hoist, but all the wiring for that, all the terminations, all the disconnects, all the uh, breaker boxes and all of that are in Division 26 under the electrical scope because electrical contractors got to sign off on that. So that's how it's done if an electrical, that's how it's done if a theater contractor is bidding a theater consultant job where they want everything in one package. Now there are middle schools, uh, cafetoriums, gymatoriums, um, multi-purpose type theaters, black box theaters that sometimes an architect will do and they may still put some of the mechanical stuff in Division 11, but most of the gear is in Division 26 because they're going to run it through a distributor. Uh, well, they don't realize this. The, uh, the bidding, the companies are going to bid on it uh, I'm going to make up some companies because I don't want to call them out in this podcast because I might be a little bit inaccurate. But let's say there's ABC Dimming Company and there is XYZ Rigging Company. When a dealer asks for those pricing, for the pricing on that, normally the electrical would bid from ABC Lighting through a distributor that would then give the pricing out to all the electrical contractors when it's in Division 26 when all the electrical would be the responsible of a division 11 theatrical contractor, a lot of times they would get direct pricing from a local dealer or a rep. 
Okay. So look, folks, I know this can be confusing as hell. Um, and it's even confusing when you've done this 43 years like I've done. I mean, if I was a dealer today bidding a full theater and it was done by a consultant, the coordination I still have to do with Division 26 to make sure that all of my electrical is covered so I don't have my ass hanging out in, in, in uh, you know, what we call the risk category. Uh, because here's what can go wrong. When... An MEP firm uh, is a standalone firm working with an architect and they're responsible for all the electrical. They may not know exactly what a bidding dealer is going to cover. This happens the same way in a division 11 where the uh, electrical engineer is part of the architectural firm. They may not know that dimming equipment very well. So what will happen is when you're bidding the job, if you don't send in RFIs and make sure 100% what you're bidding is actually what is on the drawings, what can end up happening is an electrical contractor says, well, wait a minute, that's not part of my scope. That's part of your theater scope. And you're like, no, it's not. It's part of yours. Well, normally the electrical contractor is going to win and the theatrical dealer is going to have to come up with thirty dollars or $40,000 of electrical that they didn't even cover in their bid. So this is a reason it's extremely important that in the industry that veterans are the ones that are designing the theater, i.e. the theater consultant. If it's an MEP firm doing it, they could be still doing a great job, uh, but normally they've got an integrator doing it, which are only going to be responsible for the electrical and mechanical. And they may not be responsible for the house lights. It might've been somebody at the architectural firm telling the MEP firm which house lights they want to use. And this is the reason, folks, it's so important that you have people. Um, this is this, So if you're a high school or college student listening to this and you want to get into the theater industry, and that's the whole reason I do these podcasts. Imagine you're worth 20 years, 25 years down the road, if you're working for a dealer or working for a distributor, uh, well, not a distributor, if you're working for a dealer or you're working for a rep and you look at drawings and you're like, holy cow, that's not right. All that low voltage wire, uh, you know, for the DMX 512 or all of this uh, Cat 5 cable, you know, that goes out to the nodes. All of, all of these different things here are wrong. And you call up the MEP or the electrical engineer at the MEP firm and say, hey, look, I got a question here. Uh, why are you doing it this way? And they're like, well, this is how we were told to draw it. And, and you say, I don't think it's going to work very good. Can I come visit you? You become the hero because nobody likes to be called out in front of the owner. Nobody likes to be called out in front of the architect. Nobody likes to see RFIs making somebody look stupid. Okay. The reason I have had such enormous success in this industry is because I pick up the phone, folks. Um, one of my best friends uh, became my best friend because basically uh, somebody had given them bogus information and it could have cost this firm $50,000 that they didn't have. And I just happened to be looking at the drawings and said, well, that's not drawn right. You know, this isn't going to work. And I don't want to go too deep into it, folks, because a lot of this stuff just goes away because people are all trying to help each other out. You know, that's one thing about the theater industry, folks. We're all wanting to have success. You know, normally the ego comes from people that don't know anything about theater because they, they get intimidated or they feel like, well, wait a minute, that person can't know this much about theater. 
I know reps with 40 years experience in this industry that know more than any electrical engineer ever will about theater lighting. And when you, when you think about all the people that's been in this industry, somebody like me, who's been doing it 43 years, we grew up during the biggest shift in technology that the industry ever saw on the dimming and control side. If you think about some of the major electric systems I messed with in the 80s or the decor lighting systems I messed with in the 80s, they were all analog which means zero to 10 volts coming out of the control console is what caused the dimmer to dim up and down. Nowadays, we do everything digitally, okay? So back then, you had to have two wires for every channel you were going to control. Today, it's um, uh, two or three twisted pair or a Cat5 cable, okay? So if, you're, if, you're, um, if you don't do it right, it, depending on how the control system is laid out and that electrical contractor puts in all the conduit wrong. And then you show up and say, Hey, electrical contractor, this conduit's all wrong. They're going to look at you and say, you know, tough crap. Um, who's giving me a change order for $50,000 to put the con conduit in the right place. That's the reason it's so important that these electrical contractors, these MEP firms, uh, these double uh, E engineers, get feedback. Now, look, I would say 95% of the time of a theater, theater, uh, theater consultants on it, they're going to ace it. They're going to get it right. Um, I haven't seen in a long time theater consultants get lighting wrong. I see them get rigging wrong once in a while uh, and automated rigging a little bit. But, um, and when I mean by wrong, they're designing something that's three times uh, you know, more expensive than it needed to be, but I'm not going to digress there, folks. Um, but when it comes to lighting, I haven't seen that many lighting system designs in the last 10 years that I would say had a lot of issues or a lot of problems, um, as long as a theater consultant was used. Now, when integrators do it, sometimes integrators are integrating into what they believe is the needs of the MEP or the uh, architectural, uh, I mean, the uh, architect's firm's double E, which is the electrical engineer. So I saw an integrator about five years ago, basically lay out an entire system with DMX 512, had, uh, you know, this was dimmers, this wasn't LEDs, and this wasn't motorized breakers, and it wasn't all of that stuff. And one of the problems was, is that some of the DMX did not daisy chain through the entire system. They ran a couple of home runs back, which the system wasn't originally designed that way. They didn't have a DMX splitter talking to everything. It was going to be a daisy chain system. So basically they ended up daisy chaining a whole lot of extra um, Belden wire in the building that needed to be done. And the electrical contractor was the one that was paying for that. Now this is only like a $1,500 change order that the dealer had to eat. Um, because the dealer knew it was drawn wrong and the dealer accepted the drawings with the conduit as right until they showed up on the job site and said, oh, wait a minute, this isn't right. And, you know, the electrical contractor's like, look, you, you approved the drawings. You said this was right. And they said, well, technically the conduit's right, but the way the building's being pulled is different than the way you've pulled it. The electrical contractor's like, tough crap, dude. See, keep in mind, everybody, None of this is for charity. We're all in this to make money. 
every single contractor in that building, and I shouldn't say contractor, the theater consultant has to make money. The architects have to make money. You as a dealer one day has to make money. You as an individual need to pay for your apartment, uh, your partner and your car and your insurance and food and all that crap. So you've got to make people successful in this industry. So when I think about the reason I'm doing this podcast, because a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, David, he said, you, you got to do a podcast about, you know, when you were a rep working with MEPs and then what it was like being an ME, working with an MEP firm. And I will share a real brief, funny story, folks. So, and, and this is this is the human side of this industry where we're all from the same island of misfits, okay? So, when I was selling, I kind of had my arch nemesis. Now, when I say that, we always were cordial. We liked each other. We would, you know, have a drink at a trade show together. But in market, we were at each other's throats selling. And I got to the point that I decided I'm going to go find a little niche to sell in under the radar you know, there's a slogan for salespeople in this industry, run silent and run deep. We don't want to tell everybody what we're doing. And um, the morning that I started at this MEP firm, I had sat down on my desk. I had gotten the login for my computer. I had a coffee cup from J.R. Clancy, the rigging company, with some pins and uh, pencils and erasers in it. And the secretary called me and said, Damon, you got to call in line one. And I'm like, who in the hell's calling me on my first day at this MEP firm? I picked it up and it was my arch nemesis. And he's like, hey, Damon, you're a specifier now. You're my best friend. We're going to lunch today. And it just shows you folks, you can never hate anybody in this industry because you never know the day you're going to work together. Okay. It's so important. You know, when I hear somebody talk ill will of somebody else in the industry and say, oh, they're dirt bags or they're this, I just look at them and think, man, you're a rookie. You do not understand this industry at all. Plus, the theater industry, folks, is so small. There's no secrets. And it, it's just, it's the most fascinating place to work. And I love it. And, you know, as you know from my other podcast, the moment I get bored of the company, I move on. I mean, there's just so many options and there's so many different paths in this industry, especially if you get into sales. If you're good at sales, and I used to always say I could sell Santor and Iraqi, um, and I mean that with love toward my Iraqi friends out there, because believe it or not, on my aviation side of life, I actually have some Iraqi friends on Facebook. But with that said, um, you got to stay friends with everybody. And, you, and if you're really good at what you do, don't be ashamed of it. There will be people jealous of you. If you're really good at what you do, most of the time you've spent 10 or 15 years doing it or 20 years. If you're really good at what you do, it's because you love what you do. So don't let anybody ever make you feel little or get you upset because they're jealous of you. Um, and I mean this with love toward the entire industry, but all the people that were ever jealous of me and my rep friends are normally people that aren't still in the industry today. They failed and they, I don't know what they're doing today. And I got a list of everybody I've ever known, <laughs> shows how anal I am, that didn't make it in this industry. But these are people I knew personally, not everybody in the industry that failed because there's there's been entire companies fail in this industry. Um, but we kind of regurgitate. Every time a company fails, everybody gets regurgitated and moves around and starts up at someplace else. So I'm going to shut this podcast down, everybody. But I wanted to tell you, um, oh, another really, I'm looking at my notes. 
one of the cool things about working at an MEP firm was, is normally I would get a call from my boss and said, hey, we're going to go meet with this architect and they're going to do a high school. And we would go meet with the architect. And there's one that I absolutely loved. Uh, the main guy's retired now. Uh, just an incredibly cool architectural firm here in Indiana. I'm not even to say what state, I mean, what city, Fort Wayne. But the thing is, is that they had such a cool team or still probably have a cool team. But when I would go over there and sit down and meet with them, they would already have the theater basically drawn and CAD and on the drawings and say, okay, we need to put rigging and lighting in this. And I would say, can we meet with the owner? Because I want to make sure I understand the use of this room. And I would say 90% of the time, we would end up having a meeting with either the superintendent or the principal or whoever. And we would start to talk about the use of the room. And folks, this is where I love my job. Me being in theater, since Jesus had a paper route, I would say, are you wanting to do musicals? Are you wanting to do one-act plays? Are you wanting to do, you know, a straight plays? Are you wanting to do convocations? Are you wanting to do uh, talent shows? I would go through this list of things that they want to do. And they always warmed up really close to me and said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to do a spring uh, a play and a fall musical. And we want to be able to have the band on stage. Well, how big is your band? And they would tell me, and 99% of the time, the theater was already shaped right because this architect was basically regurgitating. Well, I shouldn't use the word regurgitating. They were taking the dimensions of the theaters they had been designing for 30 years and just creating a new floor plan. And it was such a cool job, um, totally different than when I worked for a theater consultant. Okay, when I worked for a theater consultant, we would meet with the owner and go, owner and go through the whole programming stages and all of that. But as an integrator, and, and look, there's not that many integrators around that work at MEP firms now. Now, I do know that there's an engineering firm that just bought a theater consultancy a couple of months back or eight months back, and that's kind of big news in the industry. Um, but I don't know that many integrators anymore that actually work with the MEP firms. So if you're a high school or college student listening, my guess is if you want to get into that kind of thing, you know, get your degree, spend five or six years in theater, and then call me and I'll tell you which theater consultant to call up because I have some favorites. Now, like, I'm kind of kidding there, but I'm not. Um, it's really, it, it would be really, really cool if you wanted to get into theater design stuff, you, you should go. Uh, become a theater consultant because I think the industry needs more right now, at least until the next recession hits or the next COVID uh, 21 or whatever they're going to call it hits. But um, yeah, that's it folks. So look, you know, here's one of the things about doing my podcast. I always imagine myself sitting with a bunch of, of, of high school kids or, or college kids. And, you know, we just talk about what our love for theater is. And it is truly a different DNA than any of my friends described to me of their other industries, okay? Um, theater people can see through people that are non-artistic, uh, okay? And, and, and that's a new word I'm starting to use lately because I have a lot of friends that are in bands. I have a lot of friends that do touring. I have a lot of friends that do... Uh, architectural lighting for like casinos and stuff like that. I look at all my friends that touch what I call the artistic side of design or theater or places of public assembly. And it's really, really cool how we all kind of have the same DNA. Um, in what we always have referred to as the suits, 
I don't know if they'll ever get us. I've never seen that many what I call suits ever get the theater industry because unless you've built a flat or you painted a set or you focused a light or you did a hang uh, or you um, built a platform or you performed live in front of people, uh, you know, even my friends that have bands, they tell me they get so frustrated when they meet with some managers that come from outside the industry that don't understand you know, how, uh, you know, going from one gig to another gig, how, you know, you still have to have the proper equipment. You need to be able to have the same square feet to set up on and stuff like that. So if you, if you have the passion to be in theater, I would beg you to stay in theater and find a path in theater. Um, if you're like some of these younger, uh, and I hate to use the word kids. If you're like some of these students that reached out to me, that's in high school or university, and they're wanting to make a career path in theater. Um, make, make sure you talk to the right people. I mean, call me and I'll give you 20 numbers of people to call. You know, when I was at this trade show, I asked, I asked a couple of professors, have you ever told your students about sales in theater? Have you ever told your students about being a theater consultant? And all of them were like, no, I've never thought of that. And, you know, and a couple of these people started listening to my podcast in the last 13 days or whatever it is and reached out to me. But I don't even think most professors in this country understand when they're teaching theater that you can make a boatload of obscene money if you are a lighting rep. If you're a commercial, uh, no, I'm sorry. If you are a specialty lighting rep in the theater industry and you make commission and you're willing to work 65 hours a week, and not have much of other of a life, you can make obscene money in this industry, folks. Um, but it, it, it will wear on you quickly. So I'm going to shut this down, folks. I know I keep saying that, but I just, um, I've got a whole list of notes here. I've been working on doing this podcast for about two weeks now, three weeks now. And then when my friend who's an MEP reached out and said, you should do it about MEPs, it kind of solidified um, the subject matter for this. Okay. So here's what I want to say at the end of this, folks. If you are um, a musician, if you are a theater techie, if you're an artist, if you're a, um, a roadie, if you're somebody who just has a passion for performance, um, make sure you look at every avenue before you give up on the industry. There are so many avenues, and that's one reason I'm doing all these podcasts is I've been lucky. Uh, who would have ever thought that a guy who was focusing lights for Big Bird, Sesame Street, back in 1980, what, that would have been 86 or 87, would one day be, uh, you know, the director of sales, you know, for a rigging company located in Rome. Who would have ever thought I'd be the executive vice president of another rigging company? Uh, I mean, it, it, it blows my mind what I've done. And I'm not that special, folks. I'm just like anybody listening here uh, who loves theater. If you've got the drive, the tenacity, the perseverance, um, if you don't ever want to give up and, you, and don't ever listen to what anybody says it's negative, just ignore them. I mean, believe it or not, most of the people that talk negative have a bunch of their own issues. So uh, follow your dream, folks, and keep in mind in theater, 
there's like a hundred different things you can do and still make a living. So um, it's hard to get bored. So rock on everybody. Please be safe. Uh, please take care of each other. Be nice to each other. Go see a show. Support the arts. If you're a millionaire, listen to this. Donate it to a theater. They'll put your name on a plaque in the lobby and you can tell your trophy wife how cool and, and how awesome you are. So <laughs> I'll see everybody later. And uh, I have a list of future podcasts, but I'm not going to waste your time. Uh, rock on, everybody. Have an awesome day and uh, have a safe. Bye-bye.